Okay, so here's a comment that you hear quite a bit. Um, The minister gave some lovely prayers last week. Really great prayers. Uh, Here's another comment. Emma and I were chatting about this passage this morning. And Emma said to me, I don't think I'm a very good prayer. We use that language quite a bit, don't we? Surprisingly often, I think. Good prayer. Well, tonight we're going to look at this parable, this story that Jesus told. And we're going to see what Jesus thinks of as good prayer. We're finishing up a little series we've been doing, looking at three stories Jesus told about prayer in Luke's Gospel. And they give, I think, the overall impression is of a very earthy, very everyday feel to prayer. They kind of blow away a lot of the cobwebs that we build up around prayer and help us to just get on with praying. But I think I've been given the hardest job of the three, I have to say, uh, because the first two stories are definitely very clearly all about prayer. Jesus is deliberately teaching them to teach his disciples how to pray. This one, not quite so much, I don't think. This one is not directly here to tell us about prayer. But I think it is indirectly about prayer. We heard a lot about prayer as we were reading the the story, didn't we? And I think there's a lot to learn. I have to say, honestly, my prayer life probably over the last while has been fairly hot hot and cold. Um, But I found that looking at this passage over the past couple of weeks has actually really helped me Uh, It's humbled me, and it's helped me to pray. Well, I guess we know the the story fairly well, most of us. Uh, So I'm not going to go over it in too much detail. It's a bit like a joke, isn't it? It starts with two men uh, not going into a bar, but going up to the temple to pray. Uh, I'm guessing that we get the punchline. Uh, But if we get our bearings by just looking at who is standing where, that might help us. So we've got this guy, uh, the Pharisee your religious kind of type. Uh, He's a kind of whiter-than-white person. And he thinks that he's closer to God, uh, which he's judging based on what he can see of the other people around him. He's better than them. And so when he goes to the temple to pray, he makes sure that he stands at a distance from the tax collector, this guy who he doesn't think of as being very good. And that's his way of saying, I'm pretty close to God. But then you've got the tax collector, and he's kind of like the white-collar criminal. He's the kind of guy who leeches money off people for a living. Uh, And he keeps his distance from God, because he doesn't think he's very good. But actually, Jesus says that that guy, the tax collector, is the guy who is close to God. The punchline's in verse 14. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled... And he who humbles himself will be exalted. So there's a deep irony going on in this story. By inching himself away from the tax collector, the Pharisee is actually showing that he's miles away from God. Because he's miles away from being a humble person, like that tax collector. So this is a story then about about two ways to approach God. You can either approach God on the basis of your performance, like that Pharisee, or you can humble yourself before God and approach him on the basis of his mercy. So not a story directly about prayer, about two ways to have a relationship with God, and only one of them works. But I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus tells this story and makes this point by telling us a story about two guys who pray. 
And the reason is prayer is probably the most obvious way that you can tell what's going on in your relationship with God. If you think of your body as being like your relationship with God, prayer is a little bit like the bloodstream, let's say. It's the thing that needs to keep pumping around in order for you to have a relationship with God. And so what Jesus is going to do in this story is he's going to take our pulse on our prayer lives, see how well that blood is pumping. And he's going to maybe clear away a couple of blockages for us as well in our prayer lives. So let's move fairly quickly on to applying this passage then to our prayer lives by asking two questions. Firstly, what does Jesus think good prayer is? And then second, how could we pray good prayers? Okay, so first then, what does this story teach us about what God thinks is good prayer? Well, those two ways of approaching God very clearly lead to two very different types of praying, don't they? And the Pharisee shows us one way, that performance-based approach. Uh, He stood up and prayed about himself, verse 11. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Now, I'm not sure that there's actually anything particularly wrong with what he's saying there. It's kind of an impressive list of God's grace at work in his life. He doesn't really give himself the credit, as far as we can see. He's saying that God has changed him and made him different and made him less sinful. It's kind of good, isn't it? And he's certainly got the right theological buzzwords. If he was praying in Kirkpatrick, he'd probably be thanking God for his grace Uh, for the way God has transformed him, uh, giving him a heart for the poor, giving him a heart for loving other people, uh, and that kind of thing. But the tax collector shows us a very different approach, a very different way of praying. He offers this short, very simple prayer. He just says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Well, Jesus makes it very clear which kind of prayer God thinks of as a good prayer. Jesus says, verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified. We might say in a good relationship with God. Only one of those two men went home from the temple that day as God's friend. Only one of the two had their prayer heard by God. And it wasn't the guy with the impressive spiritual CV or the articulate prayer. Jesus said, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So, humble prayer is good prayer, according to Jesus. Now, we need to be careful here, I think, as we think about this, that we don't then immediately make humility a kind of performance itself. It's not that the tax collector has somehow got the right words to say, or that he kind of beats his breast hard enough and that becomes humble and God starts listening to him and that makes his prayer good. I think the key difference, and the key difference is not remember that the Pharisee sort of says something massively wrong either. The key difference between these two prayers only hit me quite late on in my prep and I wonder if you've spotted it yet. You probably have. I was a bit embarrassed when I realised what this was because it's pretty obvious. I think the key difference is only one of these two prayers actually involves somebody asking God for something. Only one of these two men is humble enough to do that. 
The Pharisee just reels off a list of things that he's thankful to God for. He's not particularly coming to God looking for anything. He's just there to kind of say, God, this is great. He's got it all. But the tax collector goes up to the temple with one thing in mind. He wants to ask God for mercy. And so I think that's the key difference. That's what makes the tax collector's prayer a good prayer and the Pharisee's not a good prayer. From God's point of view, only humble prayers, and that's an attitude thing, only humble prayers are good prayers, ones that show dependence on God. Well, last week, uh, Jim Campbell was explaining Jesus' teaching on prayer in Luke chapter 11. And Jesus teaches us that prayer is all about asking and seeking and knocking. It's like you're in a fix and you need to call around your next door neighbours for some help. And the thing is, if you don't ask them for help, you're not going to get anything. And it's the same in prayer. Jesus showed us last week that we need to ask. Well, in this prayer, Jesus makes it a little bit clearer what's going on. If prayer is about asking, then true prayer is humble. You've got to be humble enough to ask. Now, I'm not the greatest at directions, um, but I'm also a man, and I kind of think that I should be, so I won't really admit that normally. Um, So there's this kind of regular pattern that goes on whenever Emma and I are in a new place, uh, which is that... Emma will say, um, okay, Sam, why don't we stop here and ask for some directions? And I'll say, no, 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 one more look at the map and we'll get it, that's fine. And we normally kind of take those two two tactics and you can probably guess who finds out the right direction to go first. Well, my pride means that I don't ask. Um, And that is why the tax collector goes home right in God's eyes and the Pharisee doesn't. Because the Pharisee just doesn't ask. And the tax collector is humble enough to do that. He hasn't kind of cracked the code of sort of breast beating. He's just genuinely humble. And so he comes and he prays and he asks. Now, I'm not saying with that that all prayers therefore have to be petitions, requests. Um, Like I say, there's nothing particularly wrong with the Pharisee's prayer. Thankfulness is great as well. But it's about the attitude that his prayer reveals. The foundation attitude that we need to have if we want our prayers to be good prayers is that we need God. We need to feel like we need him. I've never sung that song that we sang about prayer that Richie picked for us, but I thought it was brilliant, um, talking about how prayer is our our sort of first desire and we come seeking God. That's the attitude uh, of all true good prayer. And without that, it's, it's not true prayer, it's not good prayer. Good prayers are humble prayers. I grew up in a very small church, uh, about 12 people, and there was a deacon in the church who was very fond of the word Lord in his prayers. He used to sort of go, Lord, we're here tonight as your people, Lord, and Lord, we just want to thank you, Lord, that in your mercy, Lord, and so on. Uh, It used to drive me nuts, quite frankly. Um, And as a young person growing up in that church, uh, I felt like I'd cracked a better way to pray than him. Very simple, really. I just removed 95% of the references to Lord out of my prayers, and already my prayers were better than his. Well, how arrogant was that? How, how like the Pharisee? Who cares how many times he used the word Lord? I'm sure the Lord didn't care. So let's be careful. When we're talking about good prayers, uh, let's be careful we're not slipping into talking about 
good prayers as being the beautiful prayers, um, the ones with great language or perfect theology. Good prayer is humble prayer. Now, I reckon, I, don't, I haven't done this, I haven't tested this out, but I reckon if we had to take, if I had to do a poll right now of the sort of top five things that maybe kept you back from praying, uh, particularly publicly, I reckon right near the top would probably be that sense that if we pray, we'll not get it right. We'll get it wrong. We'll, we'll mess up somehow. It won't be a good prayer. Uh, maybe in discipleship group, you've experienced this. Uh, you have a great time of discussion. Uh, people seem to be quite into the passage and feeling, seeing how it kind of affects them. Then it comes to the prayer time, and it's like tumbleweed. Just nothing. And as a group leader, you're kind of thinking, okay, is anyone going to pray? You know, and then one or two people pipe up, maybe fill the time, just because it's a bit awkward if no one prays. I wonder if you've experienced that. Well, let's be encouraged by Jesus tonight that it doesn't really matter how good our prayers are at the end of discipleship group. If we're humble enough to seek God prayerfully, then God's going to listen. It's a good prayer. We'll not go wrong, really, if we remember that any prayer we offer, however good it is, I personally love Richie's prayers, but however good they are, all of them are based on God's mercy. All of them require God's mercy for them to be heard at all. Maybe if we're struggling with this, we could actually take a leaf out of the tax collector's book. Maybe we could sort of pray silently to ourselves in a prayer meeting, God, have mercy on me. I'm a rubbish prayer. And then we could just crack on and not really worry too much about whether we start off praying to God the Father and end up praying to the Spirit or, or whether we completely miss the point of the passage that we were just discussing or whether we get the name of somebody's cat wrong. It doesn't really matter, does it? Uh, if we're coming, depending on him, like that tax collector, then God will hear our prayers. Okay, so that's the, that's the first point I wanted to raise. Uh, Jesus shows us that God considers humble prayers to be good prayers. And that raises then another question, I think. How could we pray like that? Maybe that's not our experience very often, praying like the tax collector. How could we pray less like the Pharisee and more like the tax collector. Well, I think the tax collector does offer us a very good model for praying. Not in the specific words, I hope that's clear, but more in the attitude that he has. And if we got inside the tax collector's head, I reckon there's two things that he's thinking about as he prays. First of all, he's thinking about God's character. He doesn't look up to heaven, did you notice that? And that's because he's got a sense of God's majesty he knows that God is God, he's the king, and that he doesn't really deserve to be in his presence. But yet he also knows that God is somebody who's inclined to be merciful, otherwise he wouldn't even be in the temple at all. So if we're going to pray like the tax collector, that's step one, is to do something similar, to think about God and who he is. Immerse ourselves in who our God is. And then second, the tax collector seems to be thinking about how he relates to God. He beats his breast. He calls himself a sinner. He's aware that he's not somebody in a good relationship with God. And so the second step to praying like the tax collector would be to take time to chew over who we are in God's eyes, how God relates to us. And one of the answers in this passage is 
that we're sinners, but also that we're justified. So those two things then, God's character and how he relates to us, they combine to produce the humility and the dependence on God that then leads to this prayer from the tax collector. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I think we've seen these two things, God's character and how we relate to him, already in Jesus' teaching on prayer from from Luke over these past few weeks. When the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, what Jesus gave them was first of all a list of priorities that we call the Lord's Prayer. But Jesus doesn't really take much time to unpack those at all. What he does is he does take time to talk about God's character. He shows us that God is a generous giver and that he relates to us a bit like how a father relates to his children. He wants to give them good gifts. And that would help us to pray, wouldn't it, if we really believe that? We'd know that we could ask God for whatever we need, whenever we needed it, because we know God isn't stingy. He's our Father. He cares for us. And then a couple of weeks ago, when we were looking with Christoph at the beginning of chapter 18, we saw that God is unlike the unjust judge in that story. He is a just judge. And he cares passionately about justice for his chosen people, for Christians. And that's who we are in God's eyes. We're his chosen people, even if we may feel quite on the edge of things in the eyes of the world. And so even when life is rubbish, if we believe that, then we'll be able to cry out to God. Because we know that he will still care, even if everything else is going downhill. So these two things then, God's character and how he relates to us, they're the sort of the water that will give us a good prayer life. And so if we do really want to pray good prayers, um, this is the sort of thing we need to be soaking ourselves in, in order to humbly seek God. So this is the kind of second second thing I want to make clear. Good prayer is humbling as we think about God's character and about how we relate to him. Good prayer is humbling. And I find as I point that out, I find that another more condemning, more embarrassing reason for why I don't pray starts coming up in my mind. And it's one I think that probably wouldn't make any kind of top five list of why we don't pray. Because personally, I think it's too exposing of, of my character, certainly. And that is that even though I know that God is a generous father and a just uh, judge who cares for us, and I know that he's a merciful God, and I know that I can speak to him anytime, place. I know those things. I don't take God up on that as often as I could. And I think that's because to pray, to really pray like this tax collector, is to humble myself. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? It's not actually that easy to do this. Because the shocking thing is, is I'm fairly happy doing life by myself. If I've got a choice between muddling along in my own strength or opening myself up and taking the time to, to think about who God is and to think about how I stand before him and to pray, I'll probably choose the first. I'll probably happily just stay in my own little shell. Even in the past week or two, I've had plenty of things to pray about Uh, But it's surprising how often, even when I've known that I could be praying, I've been slightly reluctant to do that often. 
Because I know that praying, really praying, would require opening myself up to God. Soaking myself up in those humbling facts of who he is. Even just for a second and how he relates to me. It would snap me out of that that comfortable Pharisee kind of zone where I think I'm doing all right. And so I prefer to keep God at arm's length. So good prayer is humbling. And that means I kind of find it hard to pray. Well, I don't know if that's true of you, but it is of me. And I find that very, very humbling, actually, and very convicting. And I think that's something I need to pray about. Well, as we start to draw things to, to a close, have a look back at verse 9. Um, Jesus told this story to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on others. So that gives us a guide as we just try to come away with some thoughts as we go home tonight. As we've looked at this story afresh, how, I wonder, has Jesus been speaking to you? Perhaps you're somebody who is a respected prayer. You're the person who always pipes up in discipleship group when there's a need for someone to pray. You come regularly to one of these midweek gatherings for prayer that we have at Kirkpatrick. Uh, maybe you're somebody who people would sort of say, oh, I loved how you prayed. That was, that was great. Well, I wonder, has Jesus warned you to not be confident in your own prayer performance? Has he reminded you that humility is what matters, your attitude as you're praying? Or maybe you're someone who's a timid prayer. Well, I wonder, has Jesus encouraged you to not worry about your own righteousness, so to speak, in praying, your own performance of of prayer, but rather to just think about who God is, think about your Father in heaven, um, and not really care about what other people think of your prayers. Or perhaps you're someone like me, uh, who tends towards being prayerless a lot of the time. Perhaps you're confident in your own righteousness, in your own abilities, Well, I wonder, has Jesus reminded you, as he's been reminding me, that we just need to ask? Just just need to ask. Well, I think there's a fair amount to be challenged about there. But as we finish, I want to take a step back and just put this story into a slightly bigger picture. Jesus told this story on his way, on a journey, really. Um, And we're told as he began that journey, he set his face like a flint. He was going to be going to Jerusalem for the final time. And we know that he's going to die there, and he knows that. He's going to head to the temple, and he's going to pray, and he's going to be betrayed, and he's going to die. And these stories here in Luke chapter 18 and 19 are really a little cluster that he tells right at the end of his journey, but seem to sum everything up. So this is really what's on Jesus' mind as he approaches the outskirts of Jerusalem. Well, this week we're going to be remembering those days that Jesus spent leading up to his death on the cross. We're going to think about the Last Supper, about the Garden of Gethsemane with that anguished prayer. We'll think about the betrayal and the arrest and the trial, the whipping and the mocking, and then that death alone on the cross. And this story reminds us of some of Jesus' motives, I think, for doing that. You see, as Richie reminded us, we don't deserve God's mercy. The strange thing about this story is the Pharisee kind of does deserve God's mercy, and the tax collector doesn't. 
But Jesus went to the temple in Jerusalem to offer himself as the true sacrifice. He came to be the person where God's love and his justice could come together and be satisfied. He came to the temple so that we, rubbish, sinful people, rubbish prayers, people who are self-dependent a lot of the time, could come home to God and enjoy a relationship with him. That's a story, I think, that humbles us, but also exalts us, doesn't it? Jesus had to die to make us good prayers. But he did die. He's given us his spirit. He's given us the opportunity to come to him and just ask to receive entry into his kingdom. Jesus died to make us good prayers. And that's what we are. If we're trusting in Jesus, then we'll go home from here tonight justified. And we'll go home from here tonight a good prayer. Because we're people who are depending on God and his mercy. So, shall we pray? Father in heaven, we've been reminded tonight of your majesty and of your justice and of your generosity and of your mercy. Father, those words are sweet to us and we know that we don't deserve to be able to talk to you like this. It's an honour and a privilege. And Father, we thank you that Jesus died and rose again so that sinners like us can be called your friends. Father, please give us more of a sense of your greatness in your justice and in your love and give us more of a sense of the joy it is to come to you and spend time with you and live our lives depending on you. Make us humble prayers. Father, have mercy on us, for Jesus' sake. Amen.